I think people have been doing things a certain way for a long time. It's really in the past few years that we've just started to see a wholesale shift in, in the economy. Hey, everybody, and welcome to the Data Masters podcast. I'm Nate Nelson, sitting with Mark Marinelli from Tamer, and he's going to introduce the subject and the guest of today's show. Mark, how are you doing? Doing well today, Nate. How about you? Good. All right, let's talk about this episode. As Vice President of Data Management and Operations at Thomson Reuters, Mark Alvarez applies an entrepreneurial approach to data management. During his career, he's found that treating data less like an IT project and more like a business asset requires fundamental changes in the way that we go about data management. In this episode, Mark's going to talk about what's driving change about how companies are using their data, the role that technologies like cloud computing and automation are going to play and continue to play in this shift, and how organizations can just get better business results from their data. Okay, let's listen in to Mark Alvarez. Mark, you have a somewhat different approach to data from some of your colleagues. Am I correct in saying that? Well, certainly, certainly a different approach. You know, I come out of the uh, capital markets and finance world where regulation is the primary driver to, to many aspects of data management. I think it's been really a catalyst for a lot of change. Whereas in Thomson Reuters, we, we've divested ourselves of those businesses. So we're now looking at a much more integrated and holistic program to how do we shift to a 21st country business operating in, in, in a digital model. And we certainly see uh, see digital as, as, as vital to our future. So, you know, that, that calls for a different approach to things. That calls for planning to service the organization with a high, high level of quality, timeliness, and just down and all around data capability to really power what the business needs as the business becomes increasingly driven by quantitative and statistical analysis. So we're taking a slightly different approach. We really focus around some basic data management aspects like cataloging our data and documenting it, but also making it available for reuse across the organization, really trying to get scale and really driving it much more from an entrepreneurial approach than from an IT-based approach. So what is data fundamentally for? Is it a technology asset? Is it a business asset? What are we not understanding here? Uh, well, that's a, that's a big question, <laughs> a very philosophical question. I mean, my view is it's a business asset. Data is a record of something that has happened. It is the it represents considerable uh, cost from any firm to produce and maintain. Um, it carries both value and, in some cases, uh, you know, responsibilities and potential liabilities when it comes to regulatory requirements. So my, my personal view and the approach I take is it is a business asset and we look to leverage automation and technology to really, you know, really exploit the value of that data and, and really move it on to a, you know, a value creation change where we're not just using the data for one purpose to you know, maintain the books and records of the firm or maintain a view of our customers. We're actually looking to see what the, the value is as the whole. Because that's really at the heart of our business. You know, without it, we can't be focused on our customers. We can't be challenging ourselves to improve how well we execute and how well we deliver for our customers. And uh, lastly, I think for the business in general, it gives them visibility. gives us gives us visibility into how we are operating, where there are areas for improvement, or confirming that we are operating at you know an industry you know best in class. 
If data is a business asset, as you just mentioned, what metrics can you put around it to demonstrate its ROI? Well, that's an emerging area of interest, that's for sure. I mean, the metric I uncovered a few years ago and uh, I continue to rely on quite broadly was a study done by Experian and IBM across Fortune 1000 companies where, you know, it's found that companies are spending up to a quarter of their revenues on data and how it's used in the organization. So if that's not a business asset, I don't know what is. The real question is, are you doing it efficiently? Does it really need to be um, involving as much of that, of an overhead as that? And can you repurpose those resources to get, to exploit it for more, more value? That's kind of been my lodestone that I followed. But I think, um, you know, I think a lot, a lot of um, the use of data content in organizations should be put to the rigor that we would put into an underwriting, you know, a hundred million dollar capital investment program or something. And that in the past has never happened. No, no one has sat down and said, look, if I, if I get this much data, I'm going to generate this much more velocity in sales and I'm going to therefore raise our top line revenue growth by, you know, 2% or whatever. Um, so I think that type of economic rigor is, is now starting to focus on this. I think the message is there. Um, but at the end of the day, what distinguishes data is you can't turn the lights on without it. So, you know, you have to do that in an environment which is both running a business as well as starting to figure out how to exploit this asset. And I, and I don't think we're alone. Everybody in industry, any industry, is starting to ask themselves this question right now. When I'm now considering your more sort of business perspective on data, it occurs to me that you have a degree in economics. Uh, is it your academic background that helped form this perspective that you now have on data? Or was it something else that sort of knocked you onto this path? I think the background is in economics was enough for me to help me um, analyze the scars I've received over the years of managing data content and technology and, and exploiting value um, in a number of industries. Um, I, think, I think it's served me very well to take a step back and lift the concept of a data or an information service and what it means in the firm um, and, and really look at it from that perspective rather than just viewing it as a series of IT projects to service a capability need or enhancement or rationalization on some part of the business. What, what you start to see is, you know, in today's modern world, one firm can't acquire another without the aspects of integrating data to their operations. It, it is the it is, uh, you know, it's, it's the, the phrase is overused, but it's the new oil. You know, it's, it's, it's the way in which you align the rest of the business assets and control them and bring them forward. And, and I think that image is starting to be seen across the industry. There are certainly some new books that have been published recently that are quite good in the topic. Um, I think we are increasingly starting to see the case that, you know, monetizing data doesn't necessarily mean going out and selling what you have out of the exhaust of your your business truck, it's rather about how do you take advantage of this asset and how do you gain the efficiencies and economies of scale? So I have to admit, having come at this from the point of view of economics and econometrics, that has given me a very different insight from most of the chief data officers and, and other executives in, in the data space that I, I liaise with. Um, again, we're driving, that we're looking to drive this much more as an entrepreneurial program not really constraining ourselves to any one technology or any one approach and looking really quite honestly, looking to leverage the best technologies that are out there. And I think in that vein, starting to move to, um, you know, cloud, 
um, cloud uh, services is, is a big advantage for us because it's introduced a lot of dynamism and rapid time to market so that we can produce this analysis and we can start to ask ourselves these questions and we can start to build these ROI models. And that, I think, is eventually going to feed back and make this look into much more of a science and much less of an art. Listening to you talk now, it doesn't seem like anything that you're saying is particularly inflammatory. And yet, correct me if I'm wrong, this is a rather controversial point of view. Why is your point of view um, not shared, we'll say, by some of your colleagues in the industry? Well, you know, I think people have been doing things a certain way for a long time. And, um, you know, it's, it's really, it's, it's really in the past few years that we've just started to see a wholesale shift in, in the economy. I actually think this is a, you know, um, you know, what, what, uh, Malcolm Gladwell likes to call the inflection point. Companies are looking to drive their business by using their data assets. Companies recognize that the use of data goes beyond simply addressing the, the use cases of a finance organization. This is introducing wholesale change to the notion of how co- companies are structured and how they structure themselves to, to deliver the services for their customers. And quite honestly, having being a veteran in this space and having, having been through many of these, these exercises, that's a fundamental change because technology has advanced to where we can drive data now so that many, many more users can take advantage of it. And the old style method of, of treating data as, a, as an IT function just isn't set up to support that, that size of a user base. You know, so I look at my own firm where we have 20,000 odd employees, you know, across our technology organization, you know, they're really geared to driving, you know, driving certain deliverables on a certain roadmap. So that, that introduces this whole new democratic aspect. That's what you'll see a lot in the industry refer to it. So I think, I think that's a fundamental change. And I think, Companies and technologies are all coming together now where we're starting to open this Pandora's box. And it is a Pandora's box. So I think, you know, with things like CCPA and, and uh, GDPR, you know, that there's outright liability on the company and its officers to get this right. And those pressures weren't there before. Uh, and equally, I mean, the, the, the whole move to digital methods and, and cloud and open services you know, that, that's just made the industry, all industries hyper-competitive now, especially coming from the world of, of capital markets and finance. It's hyper-competitive to achieve, you know, incremental improvements of margin, at the margin in, 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 your, in your bottom line. It's really tough. And there's thousands of new entrants to any vertical at any given time. I don't think we've ever seen that before, you know, in the industry. I think, I think trying to, con- to compare what's going on in this space today to what's happened in the past and other sectors can only go so far. So I think you're seeing a lot of people like myself just having to think on our feet and they've never had to do that before and re-examine it in light of a much, much broader user community. And to do that, I mean, just to bring it full circle, you know, it's obvious conclusion I came to after, you know, after working through many of this is you are best serviced by viewing, making data available to your organization as a true information service, um, rather than trying to do these as one-off projects that are siloed and, and will not share any common underpinning resources. And you need to develop a whole new skill set around how you manage and govern this content. And by govern, I mean governance, not government, which very too easily can, can get to. 
So I think I think that's what's driving this change. And for those of us who've worked in the world of finance and capital markets, we're well familiar with this. You know, firms like Thomson Reuters and Refinitiv have been publishing data services to their clients for decades. Um, so I think you know th- th- this is a shift. This is not we're not broadcasting this data outside the firm now. Now we're doing it inside the firm, and that means you have to tool yourself to do it. And that's that's just not there as a firm. You know, we, we're, we've progressed from a world of databases to data warehouses to now cloud and 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 on-demand services. So I think those are big fundamental changes. I think it's there's plenty of scope for people to do and make achievements and get results using different approaches. Um, but we're going to go down this path and try and keep our eye on that northern star of this is a business initiative, not a technology initiative. Now, I want to challenge you a bit. Is it that your approach is just another way of tackling these issues? Or is it that you believe that this more entrepreneurial angle is effectively more valuable than a more technology-centric approach? Um, well, I'm, I'm glad you credit me with thinking it's actually a discrete and, and definable model. Thank you for that. Um, uh, I, I think we're gonna we're gonna learn by example. I think I think different industries, different firms have different ways of dealing with things. You see this in banks and financial institutions and how they manage their operational risk. There are plenty of ways to skin the cat. I think at the end of the day, you really have to put your economist's hat on and figure out what's going to give you the most bang for your buck. And not just do something because it's the shiny new bit of technology that everyone's using. Um, you know, must-have technology. I think it's it's must-have solution, and the solution will comprise business processes. It will comprise talent. It will comprise technology decisions. And I think in today's day and age, the the pace we need to move and the scale we need to operate at to meet our customers' expectations flows right back into the firm. We have to be making these investments to improve our game because if we don't improve our game, the firm's going to struggle to keep up with its customers. Our customers are looking to us to break trail here for them and solve some of these problems. Let's get specific here. There may be folks listening who disagree with what you're saying. What evidence do you have, Mark, uh, that might help convince them? So how has this approach helped, for example, the companies that you've worked for? Oh, that's a really great question. I mean, I, so I'm very active on the CDO circuit. Um, I, tr- I try and, and I solicit feedback from other people. Uh, you know, I have my own network of contacts that I'll go and throw my stupid ideas up and get their feedback. So it's not like I'm doing it in a vacuum. But I will tell you this. When you get down to the actual metrics of cost, time to deliver, reliability of delivery. I am, I have very, I'm feeling like I'm on very solid ground. Um, You know, we are able to assemble a discrete roadmap for year by year. We are able to resource against that real roadmap. We are able to budget against that roadmap. It's not perfect, but it's better than anything I've done in my career. And quite honestly, when I look at our portfolio of work that we're doing and the number of projects we're running in parallel to achieve what the company's trying to achieve, it's quite impressive. So, you know, amount of work for an organization of 60 odd people I'm responsible for. It's th- those metrics are definitely pointing in the right direction. And the other thing is uh, something credit, credit Thomson Reuters. I mean, I want to been there a couple of years. I've been here a couple of years, but they, they take very seriously the health of the organization and they, they have been measuring it. And this is showing up in our organizational health index scores. 
people are starting to really see and value that. So I, I think, you know, again, I, I think there, it's as much art as it is science at the moment. Um, you know, I think you have to be willing to break some trail in your organization. Um, certainly in this area, what I found was putting together a proper business plan and laying out the steps to ROI and what, what we could do with those returns over time had never been done before. Um, and I find that that was viewed by my senior management as very welcome. First, they thought, I thought they, they thought I was speaking Greek, but when we sat down and we went through it, they could actually see where the journey was taking them as they would with any other investment. So I think it makes sense to look in this way, but I'm not going to be anyone to say, you know, this is a, here's the prescription pad and every, every company should do it. There's a very organic element to this that every firm has to consider. And again, you're doing it in, in increasingly demanding environments where budgets and returns on equity have been, been put under a lot of pressure. So I think it's incumbent to think on your feet. And the other thing is don't throw anybody, throw any good ideas away. It's not like I've come up with all of these ideas. I've quite, quite uh, unashamedly borrowed them from some of my other colleagues who are in the industries that I've worked in and serviced who are, who are forging much the same trail and in different industries, diff- different, uh, different firms. So, you know, I think I look to best practice a lot. I look to adapt and implement best practice. So far, I'm, I'm pretty pleased with the results. I think, I think as a whole, we're fairly pleased with the results. I think we'd like to go faster, but, you know, it's, it's, there are trade-offs to these things, but I think we are on a healthy, healthy trail and we're picking up pace and we're picking up scale. So I've, I think we're, we're, we're heading in the right direction. So when you enter a new company and you take along this perspective with you, uh, I imagine that not everybody is necessarily on board right away, right? Um, if what you're saying is true and some people do disagree with your approach or are just used to, you know, doing things in a different way, then your job isn't just to use data how you want to use it, right? But to get everybody else to approach it that way as well. Um, Mark, how do you go about changing the culture around data among your colleagues or in your company? <laughs> um, slowly and with pain. <laughs> um, it's, it's a different way of thinking. So I, I, I have focused a lot of my efforts on telling the story, really focused on what to expect and how we're going to get there. And I've really focused on short-term, low-risk wins where you can demonstrate what's going on. Um, that has involved considerable amount of change for the organization. So one of the changes we introduced was to take our operational sides of things and completely separate them from the transformation side of things. So, you know, I have direct oversight of the transformation program that we're in and we've been able to demonstrate results. You know, we've been able to build out our first product master solution in about a six month period. And now we're building out additional data sets all in the same integrated environment. It involved bringing in some entirely new ideas. So if you go and read any of the data management um, organizations out there, their first recommendation is almost always unilaterally, you have to catalog your data. You have to know what data you're talking about. You have to know what the landscape of your data is. So we didn't just talk about it, which is what most firms do. We went on and actually did it. So now when we talk about our data and our master data in particular, it is a completely defined universe. That universe is completely modeled and documented and under change control. 
And these are things that were never done before. Now the process seems to be feeding on itself. People are saying, and I wouldn't want to do it the old fashioned way of sloshing spreadsheets back and forth ever again. And I have growing list of constituents who want to take advantage of, of that catalog and, and leverage the work that's been done and extend it in many cases. We get, we get a lot of requests to extend. So, so I think the approach has been right. Um, but you are spot on. And there, there, are, there are several books I've read over the years in this area. Data has a cultural component to it. People get very passionate about data and how they use it. And they're not particularly generous in their thoughts of how other people might choose to use it. So you need to get to the lowest common denominator, right? Something the technology people call normalizing. And I, and I think data standards helps. That helps gets us there. But, you know, you, you need to set it up so that everybody's benefiting. You know, you have to set up a Pareto optimal outcome here. Uh, and that's not easy. And that's not cheap. I can tell you, it's, it's something you have to budget for and invest in and find the people for. Um, you know, people, it's a, the people component of data is not to be overlooked. You know, some people to, are thriving on the new challenges this presents and the opportunity to use you know, state-of-the-art AI tools to assess and manage data content. You know, th- these are groundbreaking areas for a lot of careers. So I'm, I'm quite honestly, I'm quite excited about it. I'm quite passionate about it. Um, I, th- I think we're making some really good progress. But we're running into some problems as well. It's not, it's not all, you know, bright sunshine and, and, and chocolate cake. It's not, this, stuff, this stuff is tough. Um, you're dealing with in the case of Thomson Reuters, decades and decades of legacy systems, you know, me- measured in the scores across the firm, um, you know, of resulting from hundreds of acquisitions. I mean, this is not a trivial thing to unwind. And yet here we are, we're getting there, you know, and, and we're working it through and we're building our methods of working and um, we're building constituency. So I think it's, it's, we're, 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 we're heading in the right direction. I think we're starting to see some of the real results. You mentioned it earlier that harnessing the power of data is as much an art as it is a science. So we hear a lot about the science behind data. Could you talk about the art of it? Well, you know, I think um, one of the lessons I've learned is in the last 10 years has been a big rush for everybody to run out and hire data scientists, right? Um, and you know, we, we now have a critical shortage of data scientists up there. Um, so there, so that, that, that's been an interesting finding. But look, if you talk to people who work in data science as professionals, as graduate and postgraduate level researchers, they complain incessantly that their biggest challenge is they're spending well over half of their time simply, simply sourcing and massaging data, normalizing it. Um, there's an art to doing that. It shouldn't be reduced to, you know, very expensive, very bright people um, having to do that legwork. That's where you should be looking to gain economies of scale by doing that normalization for them. Their value is in analyzing the data and, and writing forecasting models and, and identifying predictive patterns and understand unlocking areas of causative relationships because these are all things that happen within your firm. And I've been really lucky to work with some absolutely brilliant data scientists. 
but you're constraining them if you're forcing them to go back to every one of your legacy systems and haul all that data out and get it into a data lake and massage it. And, you know, there's so much more you can do to make those people more productive. And that's the art side of this. That's knowing what an information service is. That's being able to anticipate how are these guys going to work with this data? Are they going to use Power BI? Are they going to unleash Python or R at it? Are there some other tools out there? We're certainly using a lot of AI tools just to analyze the data so that we can improve the quality, timeliness, and service level of that data. So I don't think it's an either-or thing. You know, a lot of what we do requires the help of data scientists. And for data scientists to be successful, they need us to be successful. You mentioned AI. Could you talk about what you think is next for data in terms of driving business? Are there certain skills or positions organizations need to see value in? Is there any technology that they should be making more use of? I think that's a really exciting area. Um, It's certainly an area I think is ripe for a lot of innovation. You know, by definition, the data we produce and consume in our firm is produced daily on a routine basis in response to business transactions in response to sending proposals to customers. If you unwind it all, you know, it's very much, you know, this this regular recurring model. We create over a thousand accounts a day on average in our firm, you know, for our firms for various reasons. So if there's ever an area that I think is going to be really valuable for us is we're now using our, using machine learning and setting up machine learning models to really identify the patterns of our data, to really identify the, you know, the the distribution of the data and areas where we see the most activity and correlating that to areas where we see, you know, right now the focus is on quality. So we want to find candidate errors and put in workflows that can stop bad data or erroneous data or even potentially erroneous data from being dropped into a financial analyst's or a salesperson's view of the world. And we want to capture those. And we're seeing really good results here. If there's ever, I mean, I have a saying, which is if there's ever an application for machine learning, <laughs> it's, it's in the management of your data because it's this repetitive, ongoing flow. This is not static. And machine learning thrives on the fact that the data is in motion and moving through the chain. And we're, we're you know, and it's heuristic. You know, we're able, the more we can run them, the better and and better results we're seeing. So we're using one example is we use it to uh, identify outliers of, of corporations um, that may or may not be classified in our customer hierarchies correctly. Hugely important to us, hugely important to equipping our salespeople with the fact that yes, you know, you, you have this account and here are all the subsidiaries of these accounts and here are all their locations of business. And here's all the key, key contacts associated Incredibly important, mundane sounding, but incredibly important to being a successful business and a successful sales organization. Lastly, what would you recommend to folks in your position who understand data, but maybe hearing your point of view for the first time? What can they do to get better results from their data operations? Uh, well, um, <laughs> uh, you know, I can tell you what's worked for us. Uh, we started, we went right back to the basics. And we continue to work from that premise where, you know, we, we were like everybody else. We were harvesting data passively from all our systems and passing it through the organization on a batch basis, not particularly timely, and consolidating it and standardizing it and 
basically running our data operations is after the fact. The observation I had coming in to this job when I first started taking a look at it was we kind of got it a little bit backwards. What we should be doing is producing the content independent of any one system. We should be ensuring that the state of the data and that when it is published is, is that it has been registered as part of a universe and that it's been indexed and collated and validated and enriched. It's not just a value someone typed into Salesforce somewhere. You know, it, to me, it was, no, we have to become this. The, in order for this to work, for this strategy to work, we really do have to turn these things around. And we can't be passive. We have to be active. When I started thinking about it in those terms, it really made a big difference to me because now I'm not constrained by, you know, the 200 odd legacy systems which are kicking around in our various back offices around the world. It's much more one of, okay, how do we make sure that our general ledger has the the most up-to-date register of products and pricing that we have? How do we make sure that the view of our customers and our CRM systems is consistent across all of them in the firm? Those are the problems we need to solve. And then I think once you look at it that way, then the tactics are yours to decide. They're they're yours to figure out and move. Um, Basics would work for me. I mean, this was new. I inherited, you know, five separate groups who had never talked to each other before. They They were all doing different things. They're all doing data quality work. They're all doing data governance work. They weren't doing it to the same and they weren't doing it to the same level. So consolidation was one of the things. Consolidation of the operations was, was one of the key things that worked for me. Uh, the other thing was cataloging, getting our data cataloged properly and putting in place the means to manage that has opened up huge avenues for us because now we have a very discrete definition of what's there. And it's growing. It's growing both in terms of the data objects that we manage through that catalog. It's also growing in the, in ri- in the richness of the metadata we capture for each of those Uh, data items to the point now where we have a whole new domain within our data catalog, which is what are the data quality parameters we run against each uh, data item we have in our inventory and how frequently this is all going to feed back and, you know, just really turn the data scientist guys loose on that. They're going to start predicting where we're going to have data problems before we have them. So I think it's, you know, doing these things is that, that does it. And, up to a few years ago, these capabilities weren't there. These were big dollar, big, big, expensive projects involving major services firms because it wasn't core competence. Now, I think we're turning it into a core competence. I, th- I think if you look at it that way, I think it can take you a long ways. But I won't lose sight of one fact, you know, having worked in, in other industries, is I don't believe there's one size fits all solution. You know, I think this this requires the organic nature of the firm to, to be part of. I mean, and you, and you need to be sensitive to what constitutes the success for the firm. Mark, that was my interview with Mark Alvarez. Um, what are your thoughts at the end of all of this? Well, Mark clearly believes that the future of data is in its use as a business asset. Um, but data for the business is easier said than done, um, as we all know. Getting to the point where you can leverage it effectively requires substantial commitments um, in how the data is managed in an organization. Um, I, I liked what he had to say about what technologies can be brought to bear there, um, but also around who can actually access the data, governance being being really important here. Um, as Mark talked about, shifting how things have always been done is not easy. 
Um, I think the key here is putting a business plan around the data um, that shows ROI over time for this business asset. Uh, like Mark said, the idea was well received when he put this in front of his business peers at Thomson Reuters. And we've heard similar messages from our other podcast guests. Um, if, if data leaders want a seat at the executive table, they need to adopt a business mentality around their data. That'll just about do it then. Thanks to Mark Alvarez for speaking with me. And thank you, Mark Marinelli. Thank you, Nate. Take care. This has been the Data Masters podcast from Tamer. We'll catch you all next time.